He cannot disappear. Maybe hit him high, but what else could he do? He can't disappear. In slow motion, it looks a little bit bad, but accidents happen. They do. He's done his knees. Yeah, he's he's done his well, this is incredible. Now look up the magic sponge. There it is. No scissors, no tape. Built. Just a dirty old sponge and it's worked. The sponge can wipe out a pandemic. It can cure us all. Yes, welcome again to the Magic Sponge Podcast, the miracle cure for all your rugby league injury issues. My name is Brian Sini. Most of you know me as the guy behind the NRL Physio social media pages. James, my co-host, fellow physio, you're back again, mate. Welcome. Thanks, Brian. Sunday night again. We've got Wimbledon tonight. I'm really pumped up for that. I'm going to have to do my best to stay awake. Are you going to be tuning in? Yeah, mate, hundred percent. It's uh, I love it. Love love my tennis. You would know. I've I've got a bit of a background in tennis as a junior. Um, so always good to see an Aussie. I know Nick's not everyone's cup of tea, but I uh, yeah, I think he's he's refreshing in some ways. He probably goes over the top in a bit others, but yeah, can't turn away from watching an Aussie in a Wimbledon final. I don't think. Very true, mate. I'm a huge fan of Nick, so I hope he I hope he wins and everyone can just get behind him for once. I think. He's a little bit like a few players. We see this get criticised, 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 and maybe that's warranted or maybe it's not. I don't know. I like I like him for the sport. I think he's he's good for the game. I like it. Mate, I think if nothing else, you can't hate Nick as much as you surely need to hate Joker because that's just... Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyone out there, surely you don't like Novak more more than Nick. It, can't, it, can't, it just can't be yeah. possible for it's an Australian. Very- <laughs> Very fair point. Very fair point. <laughs> all right, let's get into it. So, look, guys, as always, this will be your weekly one-stop shop for all things injury analysis in the NRL. We'll give you our take on the in-game injuries from the round just gone, review the big injury and rehab news from those already in the casualty ward and talk through the implications of certain injuries on things like recovery time, performance, and even super coach scoring. So, look, if you, if you find this information useful, uh, look, only the tip of the iceberg. We do a lot more over on Patreon.com. This week was a really, really busy one. We went through a lot, uh, especially surrounding guys like Ryan Madison, sort of heading into the week if he was going to play. Uh, did a big, long sort of deep dive into what super coach scoring uh, or the effects of middle forwards coming back from rib injuries on Supercoach scoring. So I'm sure if there's any patrons listening, they'll know that, yeah, it painted a, painted a pretty bleak picture. And, uh, yeah, look, it, like, you know, we, we deep dive into all those injuries, looked at Pappenhausen's uh, finger injury as it happened, talked through what the implications of that were pretty much that night. So, yeah, guys, really, really um, deep diving into into pretty much everything over there um, and, and particularly diving into how that affects Supercoach scoring, which is, I know, what a lot of you guys are following along for. Uh, so that's at patreon.com slash NRL physio. But uh, otherwise, let's get stuck into the injuries from round 17. I don't know exactly what he's done. I would have thought it was an ankle, but I, I'm just guessing. He shouldn't be out for a long period of time. I mean, I'm, I'm no doctor. We have to wait for the scans, obviously, but that'd be more positive than, than negative. ITO, Brian, round 17. And the first game there was a big win to the Sharkies over the storm in, down in Park. It was a very big wing by the Sharks. I was a little bit surprised by the result, actually. But a few things to cover here. Firstly and foremost, Remus Smith was a peck aggravation of that was a peck repair for him from earlier in the season. So that's really, really bad luck as for him as he's probably going through some of the rehab associated with the peck repair. The other people that we'll mention quickly and, and we'll get you to dive into a little bit more was Chris Lewis, who had a knee hyperextension despite the fact he played the poor lady. We can talk about that in a bit more detail. 
Grant Henderson had an elbow hyperextension, which was good footage that you put there up on the social. So we'll talk about his length of time that he'll be missing. A couple of other people that we need to go through is also Kenny Bromwich with an ankle sprain. He was an inversion injury there. Brendan Smith with a rib injury. He also might miss time because of uh, a couple of profane things to be directed towards the referee in that game, which was which was not good to see. And lastly, someone who's very super coach relevant, Ryan Pappenhausen. Do you want to rip through all those gentlemen that we'll talk through there, Brian, and give us a bit of a where to and what to in terms of length of time that they'll be missing? Mate, I know this will make probably a lot of uh, people who are listening eyes roll because I know there's not too many fans of the Melbourne Storm out there if you're not a Melbourne Storm fan. But, geez, they've copped it rough this season with injury. Like, they have really, really... Like, even sitting down to do this week, like, writing out the list, it was almost like 75% Storm players and they've already got some big guys out. So, yeah, look, Remus Smith with the peck aggravation, as you say, just really poor luck. It's got a quite a low recurrence rate after the peck repair. So he's kind of suffered an aggravation, whether that be a strain or another tear in late stage rehab. So he'll be out for the rest of the season. And I'd say by the sounds of things, that rules him out for any potential involvement in the World Cup as well. Uh, Moving forward, I wouldn't be too concerned if he needs to get it repaired again or something like that. He's got the whole off-season to sort of rehab it and get it right, so it'll be less of a rush this time. So no real concerns. Chris Lewis with his knee hyperextension. I know he played the full 80. I just wanted to do a quick thing to sort of once again walk you guys through what goes on in my head. I find knee hyperextension injuries probably the toughest to kind of judge from from an injury mechanism perspective just by video. You can have like, you know, major knee hyperextensions where they just kind of get a bit of bone bruising, a bit of a capsular sprain, so the ligaments get a bit sprained, nothing too major, and they play out the game. And then other times, you know, they'll have what seems like a fairly minor hyperextension, and for whatever reason, the f- direction of the forces, the angle that the knee's at, uh, you start, like you can see PCL ruptures, ACL ruptures, that kind of thing. So knee hyperextensions are quite unpredictable. So, yeah, uh, like I wasn't surprised necessarily that Lewis played out the full game because they can just, yeah, be either really minor or really major and anywhere in between. Grant Anderson with his elbow hyperextension. Yeah, they're, they're thinking it's going to be a high-grade medial ligament tear, which is kind of what we thought from the vision in the first place anyway. Uh, look, even though you're talking about high-grade, very rarely need surgery, you're usually looking at somewhere around that four-ish week mark. It can be a little bit sooner, a little bit later, up to around that six to eight weeks if there's associated you know, cartilage damage or anything like that. Kenny Bromwich ankle sprain. Look, I uh, at, when I first saw this one, I thought it was a syndesmosis injury on his uh, right angle, ankle, but it actually ended up being his left ankle, which was an inversion ankle sprain, as you said, which is your classic, you know, rolled my ankle kind of thing. Nothing to worry about there. He was pretty good the next day, so I think he'll be fine for next week. Brandon Smith, as you said, not really too relevant, but he was dealing with rib issues during the week and then aggravated during the game. And then Pappenhausen, oh my goodness, getting to the end of this very long list. Uh, he's back, not really a concern. Got need in the back. What can you do? Um, you know, got you know that's going to hurt anyone. That's why he was so limited. No concern for that moving forward. The finger is an interesting one because, look, Melbourne have come out and said it's a sprain, but on the night they uh, called it 
a mallet finger, which is a long word, which effectively means that the tendon on the top of the finger is torn. Uh, now, it doesn't sound, sound like, you know, tendon tear sounds pretty significant. It's something you can play through, but it does cause the finger to kind of have a bend at the end, and it, it is something that in regular everyday people like you and I, James, and, and people listening, you'd probably need to have it splintered for six to eight weeks uh, and not play any contact sport, whereas these guys, what they'll do is usually splint it during the week and then strap it straight to play so it could affect his grip a little bit in terms of performance and those kind of things uh, but nothing too major so he should be fine for next week and that's uh, yeah running through probably the longest injury list in the NRL at the moment for the Melbourne Storm yeah, fair bit of colour there for the Storm. I think you're right with in terms of their wretched luck with injury, especially in the outside backs. It just seems like outside backs is where they've been hit particularly hard. So fingers crossed, um, I would say Xavier Coates will be a few weeks away still after his syndesmosis injury. So they're still probably waiting for a bit of cover to come back. So they'll be counting down the days and hopefully trying to get through till finals time. Next game on the slate there was the Rabbitohs versus the Knights. Three main concerns from, from this game there, Brian, was Lachlan Elias had a concussion and hopefully not facial fracture in the first minute of the game they that, if it is a concussion he'll have to work his way through the protocols but they get the break till round 19 the bunny so hopefully for him that goes all right the other two probably to speak to would be alex johnston with a quad injury and campbell graham with an eye socket fracture brian how given that they're left-sided of the rabbitos attack they're fairly high scoring for fantasy. They're probably fairly popular people to talk about. What do you think about their expected length of time missing out? Yeah, so Ilias, I think, you know, as you said there, like it's it's kind of a, an identical situation to Campbell Graham or Bar. He actually, Ilias has failed his concussion test, so he'll definitely be in the protocols. But yeah, they'll just be hoping there's no facial fracture there. Alex Johnson with the quad, uh, yeah, a late rule out. So I'd say he'll be fine for next week if he was kind of right up until an hour before. And then Campbell Graham with his eye socket fracture. Look, I have heard that it was a little bit more significant uh, than first thought. Uh, he required surgery and three plates to be put in, which is, you know, quite a significant number in with a facial fracture. So needed surgery, needed three plates. So he'll be looking at around six weeks. Potentially, it might be a little bit sooner, but yeah, I'd say around that six weeks, which initially... I know I'd sort of said to patrons as well that if it was a minor eye socket fracture, you can usually see guys back within three to four weeks. And that's usually rings pretty true for ones that, you know, don't need surgery, minor fracture, like small little crack, something like that. Uh, but this sounds like it's a little bit more involved, unfortunately. So, yeah, around that six-week mark for, for Campbell Graham. Yeah, so hopefully just by the end of the regular season there, he can make a return there for the Bunnies if they can get hot and get get a sort of top top eight spot there, signed, sealed and delivered for their fans. Given that they made the grand final last year, I think that's not an unrealistic expectation whatsoever. So that's um, good to cover from that one, Brian. Next game was Tigers versus the Eels. And a couple here that we might talk about in a little bit of depth, Ryan Madison with his ribs, James Tumble with a calf, and that's been a bit of a rec- recurring theme for him for the last couple of weeks. And also, speaking of recurring themes, Ken Mamalo with a knee injury there. Do you want to give us a bit of a detail about those ones? Yeah, Matto with his ribs. I mean, look, we talk about ribs on here almost every week, and they're just super painful. Um, you cop a blow to it, it can aggravate. 
as I said, there's a really, really deep dive on Patreon at the moment about exactly how much this affects, particularly middle forwards. And there is a pattern uh, that it, you know, even when guys come back, uh, look, the sooner they come back, the worse it is for their performance in obvious reasons. So the fact that Madison's had a few weeks off now is good, but he's obviously still struggling with it. So it is something to be wary of if you're a Madison owner or you're looking to purchase or whatever. Um, yeah, I, like I personally have sort of written him off at this stage in terms of looking at him from a super coach perspective. Uh, James Tamo with a calf. This is the right out of the textbook of what we say to you every time we talk about a calf is that a calf, you know, you might be given a two to three week recovery range initially, uh, expectation of player. James Tamo named the last two weeks and then pulled out during the week. Uh, so calves just linger, or they can linger anyway. So, yeah, he'll be a week-to-week proposition. He might be named next week and then pull out late in the week. It's it's the nature of calf issues. You can kind of get to 90%, feel pretty good, go for a you know, sprinting session or running session or something. Oh, it pulled up tight. Right, we shut you down for this week. Try next week. So, uh, And then Ken Mamalo, yeah, he's just got that knee that he's dealing with, so it's not going away anytime soon, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't think there's anything else we need to sort of drill into there. It's just sort of those, sort of the time of year, isn't it? Like it's later in the year, attrition's built up, contact injuries are sort of being building up for a while with these guys. So just having a week here and there is probably what they need. Broncos Dragons was the last game of the week, Brian, and the Broncos were back on track with a win. Good to see that as per usual, as we always like to ramble on during the week there. A couple of injuries of concern for the Broncos. Corey Pakes with a concussion. They've got a six-day turnaround, so that'll be a, a bit of a watch and wait there. So you, you wouldn't think he'll be able to suit up by the next round, given that the Broncos play on the Saturday next week. The other one of concern was Ezra Mann, where I didn't sort of catch this, Brian, but I, I don't know if it was a HIA in the final 10 minutes or whether it was a hamstring injury. There's been conflicting reports from what I've read and what I've seen on the socials up until this point about Ezra. So he's another one that's highly rostered, so that'll be one we might need to look into. And then Michaela Ravalawa with a hamstring concern there as well. I did see the footage of this and I'll let you take that away in terms of the detail and what you expect in terms of grading with him. Yeah, Ezra, uh, I had a few people message me saying, oh, Broncos are rotting the the HIA. He's got a hamstring injury or something. I didn't actually see too much of the, the hamstring thing. I went back and did check, though, and he, yeah, stayed down pretty heavily after making a tackle on the Broncos line about two minutes before he came off. He, he kind of went in, went low, uh, pretty poor technique, and then just didn't stay on the ground but sort of took a knee and took oh, probably 10, 20 seconds to get back on side so I'd say uh, that's more than enough to sort of get him off I think so I don't think it's as rorty as some people are thinking uh, yeah Ravalava mate uh, you'll if anybody by the time you listen to this you'll probably will have seen on my social media pages yeah shot by a sniper very very stereotypical sprint sprinting strain mechanism for Ravalava so you always worry about with those ones uh, yeah a bit of a higher grade especially he's at full sprint He's you know going at a million miles an hour, and then it yeah twangs on him. Very very lucky if he gets away with a grade one there. So I'm thinking at least a grade two, and possibly that'd be best case sort of four to six weeks. Uh, so yeah, I think the Dragons will be without him for at least yeah three four weeks. Yeah, I'd agree on the grading there. He was um, very, very typical of that that mechanism you spoke to earlier. And um, yeah, one of the great videos you put up there, Brian. So nicely done on that one. The very last thing we'll talk about quickly that we'll just breeze through is around Origin 3 and the injury concerns there. Jordan McLean obviously ruled out 
with a grade two hamstring injury is what's been reported. Obviously, there's a couple of Queensland players in Munster and Tolangi who have got COVID as well, so they've brought in the reinforcements there. What sort of length of time should people be expecting Jordan McLean to miss? Yeah, so grade two, as we just spoke about with Ravalava, usually looking at four to six weeks. I think there was a report today he's aiming for three to four, but I'd be pretty shocked. Look, McLean's had about, oh, look, I want to say at least a dozen hamstring, calf, niggles over the last three, four years. He's got a real sort of history with them. Wouldn't be surprised if he's dealing with some lower back issues as well, sort of associated with it, because it does seem to be a recurring thing for him. So, yeah, you're probably looking at around that four- to six-week return to play at uh, at this stage, which, yeah, it's, it's just devastating for him because, yeah, I, I genuinely, being as proud a Queenslander as possible, but, uh, yeah, I thought, um, yeah, I was really excited to see him debut. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, tough. it's a tough one, isn't it? I guess, you know, if you're a fan or a new well, sporting sort of like, well, better now during the week we can bring someone in than on the night itself. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, you know, if, in Jordan's situation, you want to get the jersey, don't you? You want to, you want to have that sense of achievement. You want to have that sort of, um, I would sort of call it a bucket list item in my world. But I'm not too sure about these boys. But it's a pretty big achievement, isn't it? So, yeah, really sad news for Jordan McLean. But in terms of the injury wrap, Brian, that is round 17 done and dusted. So we can move straight on to patron questions. So. Like Brian mentioned earlier, patreon.com forward slash NRL physio is where you want to be. That's what you want to get into if you want more in-depth information. So we'll get into these questions because there's a fair bit to cover here, Brian. Question number one was about the Latrell Mitchell documentary. I remember what the doco was called, actually, Brian, off the top of my head. You might be able to prompt my memory there. But basically, can you talk to us about what sort of exercise, workout, and I guess rehab regime he had in terms of that documentary in gym and field sort of session work he was doing there? Uh, here we go. I'm getting it. Pushing the limits? Pushing boundaries. Pushing got boundaries. It. There we go. Oh. Yeah. I've got pushing boundaries episode one. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I literally just saw it then on my cool. phone. I was like, I'm sure I've got it here somewhere. Yeah. I just couldn't find it. I was panicking. Look, first thing I want to say, awesome content. Like, this is the kind of stuff that, uh, you know, I joined social media because I saw a bit of a gap in the market around this stuff. This is stuff that fans are interested in. They they are really interested in, you know, what players go through, the, you know, the challenges that they have, uh, yeah, what they need to do to get back on the park, all that kind of stuff. So I know there's plenty of clubs who are sort of ramping it up now, but to, yeah, see, I think what's going to end up being, because that was only episode one and it was 30 Five thirty-seven minutes or something. So it's probably going to end up being over an hour of, I assume there might be two episodes or three episodes maybe. So it's going to be an hour, an hour and a half of footage, which is super awesome. I, as a physio, obviously really, really loved it. But I, like, I can almost guarantee there's heaps of people out there who really, really enjoyed it. Because, look, there's people who enjoy my stuff and it's very, very similar along that line in terms of, you know, just shining a light on the hard work that players do when they are injured. It's a big part of the game. These are players that, you know, people are fans of, they idolise them and, and they want to know what they go through. So, yeah, first of all, really, really good content. Uh, look, I, like, I think the thing that surprised me the most overall is I probably didn't know a lot about the guy who he was going to see and I had the impression that he was like a hamstring guru at first because, you know, it's the second hamstring injury for Luttrell 
I'd kind of thought that it was a, a hamstring thing, but it it's definitely not. He's he's more, uh, I guess, a conditioning rehab expert. So he, he's all about rehabbing the whole body, uh, you know, which, look, a hamstring guru could be as well. But the, this guy does work with guys after ACLs and after, you know, a whole bunch of different stuff. So he's very, very much, uh, yeah, incorporates a whole lot of different things and, and just a lot of functional movement patterns, those kind of things. Uh, one specific question we had is, is can you talk about the exercises uh, workouts and particularly the deload where he went back to the gym after his field session? For those who haven't watched it, effectively it was a big deal for Luttrell. He spent the first couple of days in the gym sort of doing some more basic like, you know, in-gym exercises and he was really excited to get back out in the field and do some running went back out, did some running, and the guy kind of said to him, look, we want to get you, like, you know, in." he, he said he sold it in a pretty good way, but he effectively said, we've got to take you back to the gym and we need to do some more work. Uh, yeah, look, th- this is a pretty common uh, thing that happens during rehab. Uh, you know, you, you get guys who you'll see them back, and, and, and athletes always want to run. They, they don't want to be stuck in the gym. They don't want to do those things. So if you give them the option, they're going to want to be out there. So they're always going to tell you that they're feeling all right, but it's your job as the as the treating practitioner sort of have a look at their movement patterns, see, you know, are they favoring one side over the other? Are there, is their movement smooth? Those kind of things. Obviously, he saw something he wasn't happy with with Latrell, and sort of took him back um, to where he needed to, where he needed to be back in the gym. Uh, yeah, look, and I guess the other thing for me is it kind of I guess overall reaffirmed for me that it was very much as much as this was a physical thing uh, for Latrell to sort of help get his body right. I think it was definitely a psychological thing too. I think it had a massive impact on Latrell psychologically. You could see it from the very first moment that he walked in the door over there and you know he was talking about all the stars that he's worked with and how good it was to sort of get away and you know away from Australia and the media and all that kind of stuff and 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 get his body right and it's a big deal he's going overseas and all that kind of stuff and it's a whole change in his surroundings and those kind of things like you could just see that it was having a really positive mental impact on him as well which is uh, like the research that I had done on the guy Prior to Latrell going over there, a lot of the feedback was it was really, really good for the athletes' mindsets. Um, you know, really sort of gets them focused on what they need to do and that kind of thing. So, I think from the from the first episode there, it certainly looked like it was having the right effect. Uh, yeah, James, what did you think? I was probably a little bit more critical than than yourself about this one, Brian. Just from from what I saw, and I guess um, I'd echo your comments on. I thought it was going to be very hamstring focused. You know, I thought we we're going to be looking at different approaches from hammy stuff and this and that. But I, I think early in the piece, when he uh, this trainer sort of spoke about, you know, I want to rebuild the athlete. It was it was a bit more sort of holistic and a little bit more sort of core based and functional sort of base. So that was a little bit interesting for me to start off with, and I was also interested to see that um, the bunnies. Uh, took a physio over there themselves as well. I was really interested to see that and see how that sort of therapeutic alignment worked between him and someone else, for example. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Some of the things I I was a little bit skeptical of, I, I thought there was a couple of things that I, I saw on the video and I just went, that is just not the best thing I've ever seen. I I didn't think there was anything that would be founded in sort of a good scientific evidence base from that point of view. So I think, you know, when he had the hula hoop out and when he was on the balance disc with the hula hoop and he had the electrical steam on the quad and there was those weird sort of rolling and functional activities that were framed as course ability. I sort of just went, oh, I don't know. I did, I did this sort of the professional in me just went, how much of this is sort of 
based on good good sort of science compared to just one bloke sort of anecdotal sort of guru experience. I, I think I it's really I think it's mental, such, mate. Like, I I think it's got to be it's got to be the psychological. Like I I completely agree with what you're saying. I just think it's more just yeah. getting him getting him away from doing you know like Nordics over and over again or like, sure. uh, like I think, and I guess what you're saying, which I completely agree with is for anybody out there who's watching this kind of stuff, like it's for everyday people, it's probably not the most appropriate uh, thing to do a lot of the time. Uh, I, I just think it's a, yeah, it's, it, it's just an over the top kind of, I, I guess, process that they go through because yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think, yeah, there's, you, you, yeah, shining a light on some stuff there that, as you say, probably isn't something we would do on a day-in, day-out basis. No, and I think certainly my, my other quick sort of query about the whole thing was oh, I thought if they were going to spend that amount of money, it would be longer than a two-week block of conditioning yeah. because in my head I sort of think, well, certainly you can get some good conditioning done in two weeks, but but how much can you realistically do in two weeks? And I just thought that time frame, I, I didn't necessarily agree with that. I, I think the, that you sort of – might be doing the trail a bit of a disservice there, but but obviously you know they're doing a, a two week block over there, and they're doing from what it sounded like two two hour sessions per day. And if you break that down into like an hourly rate, it's a pretty expensive hourly rate that they would have accessed over there. So I thought, well, you know, that that's up to them to sort of decide whether that's worth it. And I think there is to your point about just getting away from Australia, getting a different set of odds on things, doing things a bit differently. And certainly, there's been athletes in the past that do a lot of different conditioning for themselves and i think wayne bennett famously talked about tamana tahu that way he said you know with tamana it wasn't about doing footy based things he said i would let him go in and do mma type things and he would cross train and play basketball and this and that i think carmichael hunt was another one who played a lot of different sports to get himself fit as well so it's certainly been done before and maybe that is what latrell needed maybe this needed a different approach and a, and a different sort of take on things just to break up the monotony of rehab because it can be monotonous like you said hey well, even that, like, I, I think exactly what you're saying there. I think there's like the even the two week thing. Like, you, you're exactly right. You're not going to rewrite Latrell's physical fitness in two weeks, right? But what you can do, probably, arguably, is reset his mindset. You know, and, and I just think that, like, I, I and uh, like, it's a bit snake oily in certain parts where it's like, you know, selling these big, massive things of, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to reset this and we're going to get your core, this side of your core activated. And I'm like, are you really going to do that in two weeks? Like, I'd be surprised if you are. But like, I think even just the, uh, yeah, I think the justification behind it surely has to be heavily based in that, you know, how how mentally um, it revitalised Latrell. And, yeah, I, I just found you could just see the hunger in him just kind of going, yeah, I want to get back there and play footy and this is all really good and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think from a, from a yeah professional perspective, I, th- I saw it was more that psychological that, you know, I guess that, yeah, getting him motivated, resetting his mindset and, yeah, rather than sort of, yeah, performing some miracle on his body in two weeks. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there were, look, there were some good things and I'll, I'll sort of not just rag the whole thing out completely, but the things that looks good and, and I just thought, I don't know, I just got the feeling that this might have been more from the Rabbitohs physio there that was getting him to do these things because certainly, you know, when they were – showing the gym footage when they're loading him in, like in terms of physio talk here, Brian, we're going to talk about inner and outer range strengthening. I thought, yep, appropriate, appropriate for him. That's really good to see. I thought some of the, he was sort of sitting on the edge of the plinth 
they're doing neurotensional work, which we know can have an impact on on hamstring and lower back sort of dysfunction there. So that was good to see too. And I'm not one who's majorly into sprinting mechanics as such. I'm not sort of someone who really is a biomechanist as such, but <laughs> I, I could see the value of looking at certain things there in certain people in certain situations. So I thought that were three sort of really good things. And I'm not too sure if that was based from, you know, the bloke in the States or, or more from, from the physio itself. So I thought that was, those were pretty, pretty good things to see um, in amongst everything else. Yeah, mate, I agree. I, like, as I said, I think, I think it's, you know, I like if you've, if you've got that much money rolling around, it's probably a great investment, right? For, for someone like Latrell, you send him over there, get like he might be a bit down in the dumps and, and being like, you know, I'm dealing with all these injuries and stuff like that. I, uh, I certainly wouldn't suggest Joe Bloggs goes over there, uh, by any means, but certainly from a professional sporting standpoint, yeah, like there's probably benefit in certain situations and the people who've used him seem to be happy with him uh and yeah i think uh yeah i I just hope in the second one we see a few more nordics mate (laughs) yeah absolutely well i don't mind either way as long as he keeps winning at big scores for my fantasy team i'm gonna be pretty happy either way brian because i bought him in last week so if he's scoring big then you beauty as far as i'm concerned 70 grand well invested we'll move on to the next question hey brian i think we've covered a fair bit with the trail there and we'll, we'll probably cover a bit more once episode number two comes out but the second question is about luke thompson and, and what's happening there just someone wanting a bit of insight from patreon about luke thompson yeah mate uh, all i can say here is he's back in the uk as as i understand it the last update i saw is that he was back in the uk for like a family emergency thing there's heaps of rumors going around about whether he's just going to stay in the uk phil gould seems convinced that he is coming back uh so yeah i like this is just one it's well outside the bounds of of concussion management and and predicting returns and stuff like that it's become a whole yeah like homesickness versus coming back and all that kind of stuff so yeah we're just going to have to wait and see yeah, nice one. Last question of the week there from Patreon was about Alex Johnston. Seemed to be okay in the captain's run, and then I think the decision was made fairly late to drop him just prior to the game there. That was about his quad. Do you, do you think there's anything to sort of read into that more relating to the time it took to exclude him from the team? No, I'm not sure. I didn't see, I assume when they say uh, looked okay in the captain's run, potentially on Instagram, uh, the Rabbits might have posted some footage or something like that. But uh, look, the, the big thing here, I guess some, yeah, I guess some pretty basic principles that we would know well, but uh, those people listening might not know is almost as important as how he feels in the captain's run is how he pulls up after the captain's run, uh, whether that be a quad strain, a quad cork, whatever it is. Like these injuries, because they get through the captain's run with an injury, it doesn't always mean that they're going to be right for the game because they might be at the captain's run, adrenaline pumping, they're feeling really good, and uh, then they get to the game or they wake up the next day and it's at the morning of the game and they just feel like shit. Uh, so that kind of thing is not going to – yeah, you're not going to see a player play in those situations the reason he's probably ruled out you know like a really good example is Reuben Cotter right like Reuben Cotter dealing with a hamstring niggle all week and then gets to the game in a way he you know tears the hamstring similar sort of thing here like you know he might have felt good at the captain's run but he sort of said by the end of the captain's run look it's still a little bit niggly that's when Souths have to start to toss up okay he was fit enough to get him through a little bit of the captain's run do we really want to risk him blowing this quad out 
you know, and being out for four to six weeks, like what's the risk versus reward scenario? And I think, you know, on a bye week where they were playing, who do they play? Newcastle, I think, or, and, you know, they'd usually probably expect to comfortably win that. So they probably weren't, or like the the reward probably isn't too high. You've got Richie Kenner who can fall over for three tries there, which he did. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I, 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 like there's a lot that can go on in around, like just because a guy gets through captain's run doesn't always mean, like the vast majority of the time they're going to be fine. But there's also, yeah, different circumstances where it cannot um, end up in the, in the player uh, fronting up for the game. Yeah, good summary. I, I think, yeah, you're on the Richie Cannell point, yeah, you, you want to own a Rabbitohs left winger, don't you, for all <laughs> fantasy purposes, no matter where, no matter what. Because um, it is the most lucrative position in all of NRL, that position, isn't it? 100%, mate. All right, let's. Uh, that's the questions wrapped up. So let's get over Supercoach Corner, mate. I'm sure you scored more points than me this week. I went a bit low on the players. So I'm going to definitely divert to you this week. Who are you aiming? Look, our bye weeks are over. We're now looking at players to run home. Who are we looking at this week? Nate Fafita's the man this week, Brian. I think I've owned him. I might have started with him and then dropped him after his first MCL injury. And then I think I held him through for a little bit and then traded him again. But I'm going to trade him back in one more time because I'm out of the big points. So I just want to have someone with a bit of upside that I can watch. I have said this to you before. Why on earth was he not named for the team <laughs> in Origin 3? I don't know what he's doing there because with the injuries to these guys, having a game break, of his ability is an absolute no-brainer in my opinion. So with David Fafita, he, from a fancy point of view, 582 grand is where he's at. So he's not expensive. He's got a break here even 77. We know he's got a massive ceiling. He's got a reasonable draw coming up as well. So I think from my trade plans this week, it's him in for someone and I'm going to start nuffing guys out. So just try to get basement level dual play positions that I can sort of just nuff out from this point in time because I've got 10 trades left. So I can probably just go in and out for the next few weeks and carve off my year that way. So what are your plans for this week, mate? Yeah, mate, completely agree on the Fafita call. I think if there's anyone worried about the MCL injuries, uh, you know, back-to-back, it's super, super unlucky. Uh, MCL injuries are just pretty much luck. They're contact injuries in nature, so he's at no more increased risk moving forward. I've only seen one player suffer multiple MCL injuries back-to-back, and that was Cameron Munster a couple of years ago. Uh, But apart from that, in five or six years of tracking, they just don't recur all that commonly. Uh, So he's a big target of mine. I I completely agree with you. I've probably been a bit off on him. I called him one of the buyers of the year in the preseason surrounding the rib injury. There are a lot of people, uh, yeah, sort of down on him with with the rib and the All-Stars and that kind of thing. Unfortunately, the Titans have just been way worse than than any of us, I think, could have expected, uh, which was a bit of a bugger. So he's actually, yeah, pulled out sort of not okay. I'm just a little bit hesitant on him because I feel like there's a very good chance he gets started started on the bench again. Uh, Yeah, for some reason, I don't know why. Once again, why he's not picked for origin, but yeah, also you can't start him on the bench. Just play him for 80 minutes on an edge and let him run a mark. So he's definitely... Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's definitely right. on my radar. I, I'm only going to lock it in once he's starting, though. He can score well from the bench, sort of playing 60 minutes, but I just prefer him just playing 80. That's where he's going to just absolutely kill it. Uh, so I've got my eye. I've got a lot of cash in the bank. Uh, so I'm going to get 
Teddy in this week is number one for me. Um, and then I'm looking at, yeah, like your likes of Harry Grant. I think I might wait a week on because I feel like he's going to have big minutes in origin. I think he has to play big minutes if Queensland any chance. So I just wonder whether that kind of affects his performance this weekend. Uh, so I'm looking at Harry Grant. I'm looking at Joe Tappanay. He's just been massive this year. But I've effectively got enough money to make four huge trades in the next two weeks. Uh, so definitely Teddy and then probably a combination of Fafita, Tappanay and Grant over the next couple of weeks, which will have my side looking very, very tasty with little to no trades left. And yeah, nice one. I think on the Fafita front, surely if the Titans are running in last, why he's coming off the bench is beyond perplexing in my opinion. I just think, geez, if you're running dead to last, then you need your best players playing as long as they can, as often as they can. He's obviously their, you know, one of their best players, I'd say, behind Tino, you know, really. And and for him to be off the bench there, just I, I don't know. I'm not a coach, so I don't understand. So it, right, mate, he's gonna I'd end up he's gonna end up at the Dolphins. He's gonna end up at the Dolphins and Wayne will play him Friday. It's fine. Don't no nobody stress. Well, that'll be that'll be fine then. And if he wears Marone as well, I'll be happier. <laughs> so yeah, I'm sure Wayne will get him fired from Marone too. <laughs> Love it. All right, that is Supercoach Corner for this week. On to our player interview, mate. We have the wonderful Jack Reed on this week. Now, this is as soon as I message you about this, you were very excited. Uh, you've got. Uh, can you tell us your little personal anecdote about uh, Jack Reed before we get to the the player interview? Um, well, yeah, there's a there's a little bit of a, a small world story with me and Jack Reed. So we were the same age group playing through junior football on the Sunshine Coast. So he was obviously playing for Gaborchi, and Gaborchi had a pretty handy team. They, they weren't as handy as the Nemble Crushers, I was to say, as a, as a side note, because we generally got the better of them pretty much every year from under 12 through under 17. So we, we had a pretty stomping little team there. But yeah, Jack was always one of the smaller players in the comp. So I think myself and, and him were, were probably at the same size at that point. He obviously grew a lot bigger than me um, through puberty, and I did not. But um, yeah, Jack was always a very, very talented footballer, really tough, really lippy as well, actually. But he was, he was a good, good player. And I think... He was obviously playing for Gibraltar, and a lot of the guys that played in the Nebel Crushers team that I was in went to Moray Field High with him to do uh, footy as a subject with Moray Field High because they were a footy school of excellence down there for rugby league. So, yeah, I, kn- I knew sort of playing against him, he, he was a really, really good player, and it was really quite incredible to see him sort of progress through Queensland Cup, through the Broncos, through to international footy there as well. Yeah, mate. Well, I think that's as good an intro as we'll get. We'll obviously talk about what we thought about the interview afterwards. But, uh, yeah, guys, enjoy our chat with Jack. Jack Reed is hurt here, I think. Yeah, he's had a few injuries, and he lands on the point of that right shoulder. He's the most important part of this team. We've heard Darren Lockyer talk about him, particularly in defence, Darren talks about him. In glowing terms. Well, he's a $6 million man, Jack Reed, because they've put him together about five times in his career. He's had a lot of surgeries, this man. He's had so many injury problems, big injury problems and big surgeries. 
All right, and really stoked today to have Jack Reed on the show. Uh, Jack played 128 games for the Broncos and five games for England over a six-year career. Look, unfortunately, his career did come to an early end due to injury, uh, retiring in 2016 due to ongoing shoulder issues. Now, Jack, we'll talk about you know the challenges you faced undergoing those four shoulder reconstructions in four years and what exactly brought on your retirement, but I really appreciate you coming on and telling your story. No, no drama at all. Really excited. Uh, like mentioned earlier, I, I love the fact that you're giving these, uh, just the public, the, the information on injuries and around injuries and obviously reaching out to those older players and what they're doing now and what the injury was. So brilliant. That's good, mate. Now, look, like uh, obviously everyone will, and I find where they have most exposure to you guys is sort of when you're in, in the NRL and a lot of stuff we'll talk about, a lot of people will, you know, have seen at different points. But look, I think for a player like yourself, like you didn't make your NRL debut till your early 20s. So did you have any sort of injury challenges prior to the NRL? Did you sort of face anything in those younger years or was it only sort of once you got to the NRL that you, you started yeah. coming up against them? Yeah, no, as a younger kid, I was very fortunate, actually. Uh, never any injuries. Obviously, came through the Queensland Cup system, uh, little bumps and bruises, but nothing that put me at a lengthy lengthy uh, period of time. So I was really fortunate, I guess, um, through those younger age groups, which obviously gave me those opportunities and things like that. But uh, probably didn't really get me head around what I was going to get myself into once I did actually step into that first grade arena. Yeah, and as you say, it's a double-edged sword, right? Like you have, as you say, the the fact you're injury-free, it, it's good for your, your development as a footy player, but then if you do strike them, and uh, I mean, we'll get on to them now, but yeah, it can be a bit of a be a bit of a whack to the face, eh? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so look, the start of your NRL career, it's, it's a bit of a whirlwind, mate. Like, you know, you, I, I'm from Brisbane myself, so, you know, followed you, and I'm a very similar age to you, so sort of followed you sort of coming through. And I remember you, you joined the Broncos sort of almost on like a train and trial arrangement, I guess, to start the 2011 preseason. And then, you know, fast forward 12 months, by the end of 2011, you've played every game for the Broncos, you debuted for England. It was just pretty full on. Now, in terms of like injuries and stuff like that, I went back to sort of in doing my research to try and find any mention or the, or the first mention of a shoulder issue. And the first I could find was at the end of 2011. So look, I guess my first question is when did it all start? When did you suffer your first shoulder injury that you can remember? Yeah, it was, um, yeah, I remember the season one was really exciting, obviously going through and the body was obviously really adapting to, the conditions of regular first grade training from um, coming out of the Queensland Cup. So it was the end of 2011. We'd finished the season. We're going into the, obviously, the preseason of Christmas uh, of 2012. And uh, it was a really basic kind of simple injury. I, I remember we were doing a little offside gut touch game for conditioning. Uh, Benny Hunt threw a bit of a long ball, dove to catch the ball, and obviously hyperextended and subluxed the shoulder in, in the lead up to Christmas, thinking nothing of it and kind of going through the process, so, which obviously led to the long 2012 season. Yeah, and so at that point, you have like a little subluxation. Are you getting it scanned at any stage or are you just kind of going, no, look, it's you know my first little injury, I should be right pushing through it? Yeah, well, obviously, only being a year in, I didn't really want to say too much. Yeah. So I tried to battle through it originally. Um, the, the club are pretty quick onto those things. So straight away down to get some scans after probably a week or so, seeing that I was a bit off the pace. Uh, saw that there was a labral tear in there 
and a slight bicep um, split, but it was able to be managed through most of the process, uh, obviously with a heavy rehab schedule and, and doing all the right things. They were really confident that they could get me through the season and, and it looked positive at that stage that there wouldn't be any surgery. Yeah, and how did you find, like, you've obviously had a killer first season, right? Like, 2011 was a great season for you. So now you've got this labral tear, this biceps, you know, split. You've got a bit of a shoulder issue. How did you find your performance in 2012, like, physically and mentally? Did you find it knocked you around at all? Or being a young bloke, you're still full of confidence? Um, yeah, it was a, it was a kind of two ways. Uh, obviously, second year around, uh, all that homework starts coming into play on certain plays, especially if they've had a really strong debut season. So I knew I was up for the challenge. Obviously, physically being a little bit off the pace probably played on my mind a little bit, but no real excuses, mate. I, I felt like I still played at the highest potential I could have, uh, considering it. And uh, well, I guess the injury itself kind of did do a little bit of a toll on individual performance. Yeah, and so you get to the end of 2012 and that's where the shoulder reconstruction happens. That, like, uh, just to confirm, that comes from the labral tear from the previous preseason? Yeah, so I think um, throughout the year it probably copped a few more bumps and bruises and, and tore a little bit longer, which kind of pushed us into the um, into the process to get the surgery. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a definite eye-opener. I remember when... I first got told that the surgery was going to happen. I, I thought nothing of it until one of the senior players kind of grabbed us aside and just said, just so you understand that your body is not going to be exactly what it was before that. I thought being a young kid, you get the surgery, it gets fixed and you're back bouncing around. He goes, it's going to be a long process. And Little did I know it, it was really, really tough. Yeah, and that was probably my next question was, look, this is your, you know, you're a young fella, you've you've had two great years in the NRL, now you've got this surgery. How did you handle the whole surgical process? Because it can knock yeah. some players around. Yeah, no, it wasn't too bad. I remember the surgery itself went really well. I remember talking to our surgeon afterwards and he was really confident that everything was done, the process with the club. Uh I think more myself, I wish I tread it a little bit more professionally. Being a young kid, obviously, once I was able to kind of get through that initial month of doing limited movement and, and doing all the right boxes, being a young kid, I still wanted to go out and have a beer with me mates and yeah. try and um, and try and be myself just in a sling. Um, obviously, down the track, it probably come back to bite me in the backside a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it was um, – Physically demanding. I didn't realise how long six months would take to get back on the field when they first told you that. You thought, oh, that'll be, I could get through a little bit quicker. But it was essentially season finishing surgery, rolling into nearly the trials is my first bit of footy. So, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a real eye-opener, a real difficult challenge. And how did you find your commitment to the actual rehab part of it? So obviously, you know, as you say, you're a young bloke and you're going out a little bit, but do you still like really stuck to your, to, to the rehab side of things? Yeah, absolutely. I ticked every box from that end. I was really fortunate. I was really close with our, our physio at the club, Luke Anning, and he made sure he, I stayed on top of all those things. Uh, I always knew in the back of my mind, as much as I enjoyed going to going out and having a laugh with the boys, that football was priority number one. So I, I made sure I ticked every box in that regard. Um, the only probably thing that let me down a little bit was uh, probably tried to rush the process, yeah. getting out of the sling a little bit quicker, trying to go to the next physical activity before I tick this one correctly. Uh, and that's probably more out of eagerness more than laziness. Oh, 100%. And that's where, you you know, you're, you're young and you're ready to go and, you know, having six months off footy isn't something you want to do at that age. No, not at all, mate. I, I just wanted to get back on the footy field and make sure I was right for round one so that 
I was always in contention, never wanted to obviously miss my spot in the first grade side. So I, uh, I made sure I was in front of the coaches as much as possible. And the best way to do that is obviously being on the grass, throwing the footy around and, and getting in those drills. Yeah, for sure, mate. So, look, we'll we'll get to another, you know, consecutive shoulder reconstruction at the end of 2013. But one thing I wanted to talk about before that was uh, you had another injury throughout the uh, 2013 season that you had to deal with, and it was described as a dislocated collarbone and a small fracture uh, from, I think it was, well, there was a bit of conjecture. It was sort of you, you, do- you dove in the in goal, I think, and, and ran into some advertising signage around the field and there, there was some people saying it was caused by that others are saying it was because it was the way you landed uh talk me through that sort of whole injury and process how did that play out yeah uh, obviously down in melbourne a uh, really big challenge down there um uh, i remember trying to chase through a kick obviously part of my game was my effort around the kick chase so tried to make a play um purely on the impact of hitting the ground obviously just land a little bit awkward I remember running into the signage, kind of jumped up, um, tried to get back on side, and I just felt this consistent, like, popping and pain through the front of my collarbone sternum area. And I, I tried to play out a few more minutes, but I could barely lift my arm. And it wasn't long before they kind of rushed us off the field and, and straight in to get some scans on that there, where I found out it looked like um, the fracture and the dislocation had happened. Yeah, and so when we talk about dislocated collarbone, something that I did want to clarify with you was because effectively your collarbone runs from your sternum all the way out to your shoulder and it wasn't really sort of, I guess, differentiated where whether you dislocated it at the sternum or the shoulder, but it sounds like it was more at the sternum end. Is that right? Yeah, so um, from the centre there, I've still got a nice little scar. Obviously, had to end up getting it fixed there, but... Yeah, it was a weird little feeling. It felt like over time, even though it gave the process to heal, it felt like uh, it kind of kept getting caught under a bit of bone and things like that. And the consistent popping was obviously an ongoing agony for me that it needed to get fixed eventually. Yeah, it's it's quite it's definitely a rare injury to be honest to have it to have it sort of pop out at that end. Obviously, I mean, you know, being around footy, you'll have seen your fair share of guys dealing with AC joint injuries, which does involve the collarbone as well. But yeah, at the other end, it's definitely I guess more rare. Now you're initially expected to miss six weeks with that one, but you come back after missing two, and it's you know I think it's described in the meter as you're defying doctor's orders and, you know, all this kind of stuff, which is always good that the media, you know, blow that out of proportion a little bit, I'm sure. But how how did you try and manage the early return from that? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, obviously, went through all the correct processes with the club. Obviously, they get you out and run you through your contact and your, your availability to run. And skill-wise, obviously, they make a decision whether I'm up to scratch. Uh, essentially, threw a bit of padding over the top of it. The movement of the actual dislocation itself stopped, which was obviously stopping the pain and, and all that prevention. A little bit of local anaesthetic to kind of get me through the second half, which was obviously fully run by the doctors and all the process was done correctly. Um, it didn't, it was more a throughout the game. It wasn't a drama. It was obviously cop and knock, bit of a stir up and then have to go through the rehab process in that regards. But one of those things, um, the club wouldn't allow us to do it without that um, tick off from the physio, tick off from the doctors and, and make sure that I'm actually up to the standard to play first grade. Yeah, 100%. And did you find it aggravated a fair bit sort of over the second half of the season? Because they are injuries that, you know, while you can play through them, they are at that high risk of kind of in-game aggravation, sort of knocking you around a little bit. Did you find that that happened quite a bit? 
Yeah, it wasn't too much. As much as I thought it might have stirred up, um, it wasn't too bad. Unless it was a really big, clear contact, it, uh, normal like normal fall to the ground, make a tackle wasn't too bad. It was more a uh, like a heavy contact based thing. Which no, mate, I played out in the centre, so I played pretty pretty. So it didn't happen. It didn't happen too often. So um, that one wasn't actually too big a drama throughout the season. And then, so end of two thousand and thirteen, we've got another another shoulder reconstruction. Third, you know, or yes, yeah, second or third, no, second one in a row. Yep. Um, so, how does that come about? Is that an accumulation injury? Have you suffered a subluxation or a dislocation? This is your other shoulder, so you, you know, in air quotes, good shoulder this time round. Why did it? Uh, why did it require a, a reconstruction at the end of two thousand and thirteen? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure on this one. It's a bit of a blur of the season. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was just a simple bit of maybe it could have been diving again. I don't remember any clear contacts or anything like that. Um, It's one of those ones where you kind of go back through the tape and you have to kind of scratch which particular game it was. But obviously, it did enough damage that I woke up the next day, saw the physios, went through the rehab process. There wasn't getting any improvement. And then obviously, scans and that were telling us that there is a tear. to what content it was, obviously, I think down the track, I think at this stage they knew there was going to be surgery at the end of the year, but they were fairly confident to rehab me through the rest of the season, which I was over the moon about. I never liked missing footy at the best of times and knowing that I was going to go through the same process, I think mentally I thought I was going to be up to that one. And so how did they manage the, you know, you obviously needed kind of two surgeries there with the collarbone and the shoulder. Did you get both at the same time? Was it one and then another one later on? How did that come about? Yeah, so we straight away went in and got the shoulder sorted. Uh, obviously, that will be the longer process. Well, they thought it was well. It ended up being the longer process anyway. I remember um, I was about a month into it. I'm pretty sure, and the said about my um, collarbone still giving me really bad grief. Discussed up until the point that I was physically able to use my right arm a bit more. Like obviously at that two three month stage, quickly go in, and the recovery time on the collarbone was quite quick. Not as long as obviously um, the the shoulder uh, reconstruction. And so you start a, you know, you're heading into 2014 off two surgeries, uh, you know, back-to-back shoulder reconstructions. How are you feeling at this point? You, you're still like feeling physically pretty good or is it starting to, I guess, you know, leak in that maybe you've got some restrictions here and there? Yeah, it was starting to get um, a bit mentally draining, to be honest with you. Yeah. It felt like you'd, you'd get through the season, you'd get yourself pretty much through Mad Monday and then you're in for surgery again, um, Obviously, seeing all the boys go away on their travels and enjoying it, we were still able to travel and that, obviously not to the extent I wanted to be, obviously, in a sling and, and wanting to go out and do all the things that all the other guys were doing. But it was mentally draining. Um, I felt I felt confident that, obviously, now they're both kind of fixed that that would be the end of the process. Uh, we had really good support teams around us, whether it was through family or friends, and, uh, and the club were really good with, not rushing the process back, understanding, you know, what if you're not going to be right for round one, we still believe in you for round two and three and, and give you every chance to get selected. So there was never any in external pressure to kind of come back and play football. It was always me trying to just drive myself to try and get back on that field. But uh, yeah, it was, um, it was an, it was an eye opener. Like we discussed earlier, going from no injuries as a junior and playing senior footy in the Queensland Cup to first three seasons and you two, three surgeries in. 
Oh, mate, full on. Absolutely full on, especially with how, you know, successful and, and crazy that first season was to sort of have the off-seasons <coughs> disrupted. So we head into the end of 2014, or late 2014, I should say, you do, well, it's reported that you suffer a shoulder dislocation. So this is back to your left shoulder again. Uh, when Do you remember when that one happened? Was it a full dislocation, that one? Um, no, I never had the actual full ones. It felt like, uh, I remember the, the contact of which it was. I remember rolling out and saying, it's like something's not right. And as I got up, it kind of felt like a bit of a sliding motion. Um, it was a weird feeling, obviously, the initial impact of pain. Obviously, it's out of place. And as I've kind of rolled to move, it's it slid back into place, which obviously is a really big indicator of what's going on there. Um, yeah, it was. Um, this was my first kind of in contact like a tackling attempt kind of one so it was a it was a new feeling but a similar feeling at the same time so through 2014 well the pre-season for 2015 I guess we've got your third pre-season in a row of you know working through working through uh yeah rehab I guess how how did you feel going into 2015 because that was a big season obviously for the Bronx you guys did really really well uh you must have felt like you pretty good because you played pretty well that season yeah um obviously uh it was it was it was daunting more than anything obviously we just got Wayne Bennett back um he was in for a massive reshuffle I'm pretty sure in that season he'd already got rid of one of our marquee players in Ben Barber within five seconds of being at the club. Uh, didn't know where I kind of stood with Wayne. I know that uh, he's a very straight and narrow kind of guy, likes things by the book, and I'm a bit out there. So um, I remember sitting down and talking with him, and I was going through the rehab process, and uh, he kind of put us on notice while I was injured, kind of saying, if you want to carry on and have a drink and be a larrikin, that's fine. You can go back and play pub footy. Um, for us, we need you to be the ultimate professional, which was a great reaction from me. Um, wanted to prove him wrong. I, I felt that I felt he came in and saw me as a third backup to a lot of our younger players. He wanted to put a bit of the youth through. Okay. And I wanted, to, I wanted to prove a point that physically I can get myself back on the field and do a better job than any of the kids that are coming through our system. So I uh, got off the drink for a couple of months there. I uh, rehabbed harder than I ever has. I, I don't think physically I'd ever been in better shape in my life. So, um, yeah, it was it was a scary moment, but it was probably perfect timing for surgery number three for me to kind of say, all right, well, it's time to be the senior player here. You, you're coming in on a close to 100 games. It's time to start buckling up. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's funny how that that realization. I was speaking to a lot of players. There there seems to be a point in their in their career where you know that it's not a switch flicking, but it, there can be like some sort of external, I guess, influence that kind of makes you go. I'm and and that attitude too. I think speaking to Gerald a couple of weeks ago, he was kind of similar. He's like, I just love proving people wrong. Like that was a big motivator for him, and it sounds like it helped you too. Yeah, definitely. Just um, you get doubters in your game. Obviously, the the social media world that he shouldn't be in the squad, and and obviously seeing in the in the coach's eyes that he didn't see me as a, a prospect. It was it was fight or flight, pretty much. Uh, you either go and go get a contract somewhere else, which he probably more, would have been more than happy to. And I, I wanted to make a real point because I was excited to be coached under Wayne. Obviously, legendary coach. I wanted to make sure that he had to pick me when I was fit and healthy, which I felt after a couple of trials and once I was back physically playing football, he was he was ha- he had to pick me in that football team. 
Yeah, definitely. So, look, really good season for yourself. Uh, unfortunately, you hurt your right shoulder uh, prior, just prior to the final series. So, how was it heading into that series? I guess you, you've missed, you know, the the end of the season, uh, like you know, a few seasons before that. So, there's probably a, a lot of motivation there with how well you're going to sort of push through it. Hey. Yeah, well, definitely was. Obviously, the pain's always there. I think um, the actual journey itself kind of distracts you from what's going on with your body. Uh, we, were, we were flying high as a footy team. We were winning games of footy. We were doing some really good things. Um, the the attitude around care was huge. So for me, it, it, you didn't really think about your injuries too much. And if you did, it was, I, I don't want to miss an opportunity here. I don't want to kind of let someone slide in there and be a part of this journey. So... Mate, I, it didn't actually give me too much grief until the grand final itself. Um, and the club were really good at being able to manage load. I think throughout the whole process, they had this amazing ability to sit down and go, he can't do this, get him out of this. Yeah. Halfway through a session, run out on the field and go, okay, that's enough for him today. We'll lift it next week. Um, so, uh, yeah, 2015 was that. It was, it was a ride and that didn't really bother me too much physically or mentally. Yeah, that's good, mate. And so you mentioned there the grand final. I mean, I guess we have to talk about it. Hopefully not from a, you know, we won't we won't dwell on the result too much, mate. But more, it's reported that you do dislocate your shoulder twice in that game. How do you remember that game from an injury perspective? Like, do you remember when it first popped out and how that sort of went for you? Yeah, it was obviously, we are flying high early in that half and then it it was coming into the second half. We ran a little play that me and Milf and uh, Alex Glenn used to run like a bit of a reverse block. And I remember getting caught up with uh, Mick Morgan there, kind of just landed clean on the tip of his shoulder. That exact feeling of in and out quickly happened. It subluxed and pops back out. Uh, I remember just being excruciating pain at this stage, um, kind of got up, understood the circumstances of the game. We can't be really affording to lose a centre and have to reshuffle the whole roster, which, as you can see in the NRL these days, the moment you lose an outside back and you have to reshuffle, it gets really messy. So, um, yeah, I remember just jumping up, um, explaining the physio, and he kind of said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, don't tell anyone. Let's just kind of get on with the game and, and try and push through. Yeah. Yeah, so... Look, and it comes out, I think, again during the game. Is that right? Or was it only really that one? No, I remember a little bit later, I kind of slid in a little bit. Throughout the game, it didn't feel stable. I remember after the game, uh, straight away, putting it in a sling, just kind of grabbing the physio and saying, get in a sling. He's like, what's going on? I said, mate, the moment you pull off me strapping, because I'm still strapped from all my other surgeries, I made sure I kind of held those things uh, throughout my career just to make sure things stayed in place. I said, the moment you take the strapping off, I don't think it's going to hold into place too much longer. And uh, so straight away, knew throughout the game it wasn't stable. And, and then after the game, I knew that I probably had two days to kind of enjoy myself before I, the writing was on the wall. I already knew kind of what was coming. Yeah, so fourth reconstruction in a row, mate. Like back to back to back. It is, yeah, when I was going back over it, I think like even in my mind, I didn't realise they were all in a row. So I, like, you know, to sort of sit there and sort of read through it and do up my notes for today, it was like far out four back to back to back. And I mean, this is, as we said, unfortunately coming off a pretty rough grand final loss. So how did, did, did that affect your mentality at all? Like obviously it's super disappointing sort of how the season and finished for you guys uh, and it's your fourth shoulder reconstruction in a row. How's your mental state at this point in time? Yeah, obviously, uh, we weren't over the moon. The results 
the result and uh, obviously the injury to, to sour it a little bit more. I remember pretty much the moment we discussed when I was going to get the surgery was essentially two or three days after we finished up that Monday, get in and see my surgeon again, uh, obviously quickly get the scans, pretty much what we thought. It was going to be another labral tear and it needs fixing. Um, the moment I got myself through the first month and I was able to kind of get up, I, I kind of spoke to the club and said, I need a break, I need to get away, and ended up pretty much flying England for three weeks just to pretty much step away from football as much as possible. Uh, more for my mental state, um, probably didn't rehab it perfectly. I did everything I needed to do, but obviously jumping on planes and flying here and there and going around and seeing family is not the correct process to go through it. I should have been resting and, and doing the correct activities, but uh, it was more a needed to get away for the mental side of things more than the physical side. Yeah, and that, you know, that's just as valid as anything, right? Like, you know, sometimes, especially four in a row, mate, I don't think anyone would blame you for wanting to give the, the mental side of things a bit of a refresh. Now, a bit of a technical question, and, and look, like, by all means, you can throw this straight back at me and say you weren't sure, but four surgeries in a row, there's different types of reconstructions you can have. Like, I'm not sure if you've heard of, like, a Latagee shoulder reconstruction, whereas they do, like, a, a bone graft and those kind of things. Do you remember with your four reconstructions were any of them kind of a little bit different than the others or were they all really similar in the way they went about it uh, the first one I'm pretty sure was a longer process because we had to get the bicep tendon fixed up it was all the first three were all keyhole surgery yep. so obviously then got through them pretty good uh, the last one they kind of talked about where you flip the bone and you got the big scar across the front of your shoulder is the last one which was obviously in hope that it's going to be make it more sustainable there'll be a little less movement which will avoid obviously dislocation down the track um so yeah for those ones there it was um first one longer process because the bicep tendon the middle two just labral out and out labral tears yeah. last one was with the um the bigger surgery obviously with the, the big cut down the front yeah yeah so we'll fast forward to start of 2016 and Look, like I guess, spoiler alert for anybody listening who who doesn't know, but this ends up being like the the season where the retirement comes. But I want to sort of go to the start of 2016 and once again that check up on how are you feeling coming into the season because obviously it ends horribly, but how did you find you were feeling going into that season coming off four, you know, four reconstructions in a row? Yeah, um, I was feeling fairly confident, to be honest with you. The break away with family overseas was really good. Uh, the, the shoulder was recovering really well. It felt like a bit of a quicker process with the different surgery for some reason. I felt like it was getting stronger quicker than all the other ones. Uh, I think the buzz around the club was like, okay, let's get back to where we were. So I think that was a really good distraction that essentially we want to be back where we were to try and redeem ourselves and give yourself an opportunity. So I think all the external noise and the buzz around the club kind of didn't let me have a chance of kind of dwelling that, hey, do you know what, this is number four. Uh, I didn't really got a chance to kind of sit down and, and talk about that or, or think about that too much. So I felt really confident, to be honest with you. Yeah, nice. And now before we get to, you know, the retirement and how that kind of played out, just a really quick one and one that I found interesting. You did in 2016 have a retina injury in your eye, mate. Bit of friendly fire from Anthony Milford, which required immediate surgery. Now, I just went back and kind of found a few, uh, like, news reports and different things. And the the latest one, I think, where it was mentioned, it, it was an interview with yourself and, and you'd said that you were still sort of having a bit of blurred vision and spots in your vision, but your headaches had kind of 
settled and those kind of things. But there was, I, I think, uh, sort of some suggestion that it could have, your vision could have, you know, stayed that way in terms of still being a bit blurry and stuff like that. So I guess my question to you, like, how is your vision now? Did it get back to normal pretty quickly? How do you remember that playing out? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a bit of a weird one. I remember that it happened and it was really surreal sort of thing. I remember looking up and the bright lights, I couldn't see clearly. I Obviously, they quickly rushed us in to make sure I get a check on it. it. It took a few kind of scans and things like that and I explained my situation and they quickly picked up that there was a slight tear in the back of the retina there. Uh, it was one of those ones that needed to get done quickly so that um, long-term jeopardy, obviously, we don't want to keep, let it keep tearing otherwise I could lose vision. Um, the recovery was deceivingly quick. I think I only missed maybe two or yeah. maybe three weeks of football, but uh, I still do suffer from, uh, in my in the eye, a little bit of black dots. I feel like yeah, sometimes right. mozzies are floating around. It's a, it's a bit of a weird one. It doesn't affect me massively it's unless I'm sitting here and I kind of concentrate and I go, hang on a sec, I can still kind of see him. But, uh, yeah, no, nothing too serious. It was uh, at, the, at the time it was quite a scary one. Obviously, anything that comes to your neck, your vision, long-term jeopardy is a bit of a daunting one. I think yeah. with the shoulders, I always assumed, like, you just patch them up and off you yeah, go. Yeah. Um, You're the being ones that strong, you, mate, you know, like, you, you know, so it. you feel a bit better with the shoulders. That's exactly right. And then you know when it's a muscle and they always seem to recover really well when it comes to your vision and you think, oh, geez, I could lose it. It's a, it's a scary one. But, uh, yeah, it was um, just a bit of a freak accident, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I found it really interesting when I was yeah reading about it for sure. But look, we'll get to the I guess the the big one now, mate. So in June of 2016, you ruled out with another shoulder injury. The way that it's described is that you need scans and potentially an arthroscope to sort of go in like exploratory and see what's going on in there. Uh, this obviously does lead to you know your, your retirement. Um, talk about frozen shoulder and those kind of things. So I guess this is a like probably one of the I guess most eye-opening parts of your career to hear from your perspective. So how how did it go down for you? Yeah, it was a it was a really strange one. I remember getting the injury. I think we we're in New Zealand at the time playing over there, which probably in the last game. Come home, and um, I lost like ninety percent of my movement in the arm. And I remember kind of sitting down with the physio, going, "Mate, I can't, I can't move it." Uh, was he your left or your it. right, actually? That's... It ended up being my, hang on a sec, left, right, left, right. Um, yeah, it was the, that's why they kind of thought maybe it was an effect of the surgery uh, prior yeah, because right, I just okay. had it fixed. And um, I remember just kind of saying I've got limited movement. It was a really weird one. He's like, okay, went in and quickly had scans. Ever since it's hacked, the surgery itself is still fine. They said it's just really heavily inflamed, so it needs some downtime. And, uh, after a few, it might have been a week or so, there was no movement. There was still no improvement in it. Uh, and then that's when the conversation with all the doctors and specialists kind of come to be. Um, I think I saw two or three. They were all kind of um and an ah and can't really put my finger on it, what it is, everything's intact and everything like that. And then uh, I remember one of the doctors kind of turned around and said, have we considered frozen shoulder? And, and then they explained the whole situation of frozen shoulder. Um, pretty much said it's a three-year process. I was 27 at this time. Mm. I think I was turning 27. Um, three-year process, uh, essentially said a year to defrost, um, which is obviously gradually get my movement back. I'll have a year of pretty painful rehab. And then um, from there, I'll, I'll gradually over the last year get my range back. Yeah. And, um, yeah, then obviously thinking of age and time out of the game was the probably the deciding factor on finishing football for me. 
Yeah, so I guess did you find like obviously that's what the 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 docs are saying to you. Did you find that like that was a bit of a shock because even sort of in talk, like I thought coming into this that you might sort of say oh leading into 2016 like you know my shoulders weren't that great or, or whatnot but in talking to you now sort of you're saying look in you know heading into 2016 I was feeling pretty good uh and though even though you've had four sort of shoulder surgeries back to back it sounded like you're in a pretty good spot and then this comes about it must have been yeah a bit of a, a whirlwind for you yeah, it was. Um, I remember sitting down and obviously you just have the mindset as a rugby league player or as a young male that you can overcome a lot of these things yourself. And obviously shoulder injuries, I've overcome them. It's not a big deal. But actually sitting down with the doctor and him explaining, it's essentially your body shutting down and saying, you know what, you, you need to rest and it's going to be a really long period. Um, it was an eye-opener, but I was really fortunate at the time I had my daughter and um just being able, I really struggled to hold her. She was only, wouldn't have been three, four months old and, yeah. and kind of just getting my head around, okay, I can't do this and thinking to myself, two-prong, I want to be a father, I want to be the best person I can be, but then also saying, you know what, I love football and being a part of it, but the risk of it happening again is way worse than what could happen. Like the outcome could become really terrible and, so I, I just had to sit down and really consider it. And we were really fortunate. Um, at the time, I had an opportunity actually to go over into the Super League. And then also the club sat me down and spoke about a role with the Broncos still. So uh, after a bit of time, I had the family. Me and my wife went away with our daughter to Perth for a week. Just kind of started talking about long term. She's kind of said, do you want to go... You can we can we can follow you to England and and we can try and rehab it and get you back playing footy or do you want to kind of consider this and at that stage I think the toll of all the other surgeries had kind of caught up to me and I kind of said to myself all right I think it's obviously uh, time in rugby league's gone as in playing yeah. and I've got a really great opportunity to be working in the game of rugby league which I, I was really excited about so I think even though for probably a couple of days there I thought to myself no I can do this. I think the actual maturity of myself and the people around me kind of said, okay, it's probably time to grow up and go and start working again. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. And so how did you find, like, obviously you've got that diagnosis of frozen shoulder. How did you find the next, like, how long did it take to get that shoulder back? Like, obviously you probably weren't rehabbing it as intensely as you would have if you were trying to get back to footy. So I'm sure there's people listening, you know, who have suffered frozen shoulder themselves. Uh, to hear it from, you know, your perspective, how, how did you find the recovery process? Yeah, obviously it was um, it was frustrating in those first years. Obviously, trying to be able to we work in game development now up on the sunny coast, so being able to run out on the grass with the kids and and do all those things was um, I was really limited in what I can and can't do. Yeah. Um. So it it did take pretty much the time frame they gave us. It was just before my thirtieth birthday that I was able to uh, have full movement again, have no pain. Um, the simple things are sleeping, just sleeping in the wrong position in those first years. I'd wake up some days and I'd, I'd feel like I needed a 45-minute hot shower to try and get some movement back in it. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, it was a bit of a shock, but also at the same time, again, I know I've mentioned it before, but outside distractions with the job and the excitement of doing all those things, yep. uh, kind of, I didn't really get stuck focusing on um on those things there. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a challenge. It was definitely a challenge, but I'm glad I made the decision I made. 
Yeah, and that was like you've, you've pretty much touched on it. As you say, I know we've spoken about it, but I did. I, I always like to ask about that mental side of things sort of globally. Like obviously I think one of the like strategies that I've seen from you is having those things outside of your rehab or outside of what you're doing to kind of distract you and, and keep you motivated and keep you going. But how, like, did you have any sort of global strategies? Like, is it something, the other thing too, did you, did you need any professional help for your mental state at any point through that process or did you more just lean on the people around you? No, I, I did. I saw a sports psychologist around it. Obviously, um, it just kind of, obviously, my body towards the back end of my career, even if it was a bump or a bruise, my mindset straight away went to the extreme. Yeah. So trying to get my head around, you know what, you've just kicked your toe, it's not dislocated or broken or anything like that was a real challenge. And I was really lucky. I went and saw someone for about eight or nine sessions to kind of get my head right that, you know what, it's just it's an injury and um, it's going to take time and try and wrap my head around that, do you know what, it might not be as extreme as you think it is. Um, but the best people I had around me were family. Um, just transitioning through, having a young daughter myself, uh, just kind of wanting to be able to get myself physically right for her were massive. And um, and the club throughout the whole process were amazing. So having the Bronx there, uh, still have ongoing touch with our physio and he's always asking about how the injuries are. I remember those first couple of years afterwards still having full treatment doing all those things that I need to um, was huge. So, yeah, it was um, it was obviously a challenge. Like most things, you you want to try and get back and get fixed as quick as possible. But being able to sit down with someone and go, do you know what, this is going to take a little bit of time, was probably the best thing I needed to hear. Oh, big time. Having that the support networks, yeah, one of the most important things, especially with that kind of thing. So I guess, mate, sitting here today, how's your shoulder function? Like, do you need to take any, you know, medications, regular treatment, or are you in a pretty good spot? No, physically, I'm actually not too bad, obviously. Um, still got probably, I'll end up getting pretty chronic arthritis in both of them just through surgeries. I can hear them clink and clunk, but <laughs> physically being able to do things, I'm, I'm pretty much right. Uh I limit my overhead when I train. I limit my overhead movement stuff. Okay. So any chin-up or overhead dumbbell press, I limit it to really light, uh, essentially just making it move more than strengthen. I feel that originally when I started getting all my movement back, I obviously want to jump back straight into those things and it kind of set me back through time. It just wasn't up to it. So now I'm just a bit more tactical in what I do. Um, I take uh, multivitamins just for joint pain and things like that. But again, it's not like I rely heavily on those things. I try and be really smart with how I look after it. And it obviously, if I have a beer on a weekend, it pulls up a little sore, but so does my head. So it's not a big drama. <laughs> That's exactly right, mate. So look, you mentioned your current role as a game development officer on the coast of the Bronx. Like, How, how are you finding that? You know, dealing with the kids and stuff like that. It's good fun. Oh, mate, it's an absolute buzz. Uh, obviously, I grew up as a Sunny Coast junior when I moved up here when I was 12 from Ipswich. So being able to work in all the junior clubs I played against and with is a huge thrill. Uh, obviously, seeing young kids have that that hunger to be what you were was a, is a huge thing, and it kind of reminds you why you got into the sport to start with. So I'm really fortunate. Um, work up here with the Surf Club Mooloola with uh, relaying really important messages to our young kids outside of sport around the importance of health and personal brand. It's a it's a really fulfilling role um, being affiliated still to the club and being able to still contact these young kids and see them at the club when I pop down once every kind of couple of months. Um, they lean on you as much as you lean on them, and it's a it's a great thrill, mate. And and I, I'd, I'd like to think if I went to another club, I would have got treated the same. But 
being a part of the Broncos and, and being the sporting brand that it is, they were fortunate enough to look after me. So I, uh, I, I owe them a lifetime, that's for sure. That's uh, awesome, mate. It's really, really good to hear. Now, look, I always like to finish the same way, mate. A bit of a fun question to, to knock it over. So, look, you don't have to throw an, another teammate under the bus if you don't want to for the second part of the question. But certainly the first part of the question, I always like to get a nomination for toughest teammate that you ever played with. And if you do want to, you know, give you know dob someone in the softest teammate you ever played with. So have you got a nomination for either of those? Oh, mate, we're really fortunate. I play with some absolute legends coming through the game. I think if I think of toughness, I think straight away Peter Wallace. Yep. Uh, Pete was a smaller half. Any bloke that ruptures his nut playing State of Origin <laughs> uh, is okay in my books. Um, yeah, good mate of mine, but um, just uh, resilient, an absolute resilient character. Softest player I ever played with. Oh, jeez, uh, that's a hard one. Probably... Lachlan Marina, Lockie and me are still really good mates, but uh, mate, he, he'd come off and sometimes our training gear guy didn't even have to wash his jersey, he'd just hang it up for the next week. But uh, no, mate, I've played with some legends and um, both of those players are absolute talent. No, I love it, mate. Well, look, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. I know I've got a co-host, James, who uh, who I do the, the regular part of the podcast with, and he's from the coast himself and actually used to play against you back in the day. So he was super stoked to hear you were coming on, and I'm, I know he'll be uh, really glad that you're you know, still knocking around up the coast and uh, helping the kids up there. And I think it's, uh, yeah, really admirable what you do staying in the game and helping the kids out, and, and I really appreciate you coming on and telling your story. No, no problem at all. Thanks so much for having us. It's been an absolute thrill. In the centres, Jack Reed. Reed is over! It's a dream debut for young Jack. 22 years of age. He's had to wait only four and a half minutes into his top grade debut to score a try. Well done, young man. Oh, it doesn't get much better than that, the little ringer. Reed. Throws the dummy, goes himself, Jack Reed. He's got support on the inside. Reed might need it. Jack Reed crashes over for Brisbane. And nearly goes through. does yes, go Yes, he through. does. He goes through, gets it to Jack Reed. And Jack Reed, he gets over the line to score a grand final try. And Reed will remember this moment for the rest of his life. Brilliant stuff, Broncos. Great stuff, Jack Reed. All right, and that's uh, our chat with Jack Reed. Yeah, look, once again, really enjoying doing these, especially with the retired boys, uh, sort of talking through what they went through and stuff like that. Uh, James, as our resident uh, Jack Reed enthusiast, what did you think of the interview? Yeah, it's very enthusiastic about this one, as you mentioned, Brian. But the really interesting one for me was the way Jack described the shoulder as a frozen shoulder. And it's just something that you don't hear very much in the rugby league circles, I suppose. I guess when you think about the typical person with frozen shoulder, we, we see certainly a fair bit of it through the hospital system because they are fairly long-term sort of ailments that people have to deal with. And I guess we we sort of see frozen shoulder in terms of a, in, like a profile and a diagnosis. Generally, 40 to 50 year olds is more common people with comorbidities like diabetes or um, multiple sclerosis is another one. Hypothyroid, I think is another one as well that we see a little bit of females too. I think it's generally and females as well. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah. So they're, they're a bit more, more prone to it than, than men for some reason. We don't really 
you know, as to why that is. And it's it's not something that's easy to diagnose from a scan either. So there's not really any sort of gold standard with imaging there. So it's a little bit more of a clinical diagnosis that fits with a pattern and it sort of fits with a, a general recovery. And there's, there's sort of a few things you can do along that journey that can make a little bit of a difference, but ultimately it takes time. And it sort of sounded like that in Jack's situation as well. I think he mentioned that it was going to take three years for things to come good. And it, and I think almost to the day he sort of said, yeah, it did take, did take that long for me to sort of come good there. So Pretty, pretty amazing because I think one of the big things with frozen shoulders, you lose that ability for the, the head of the humerus to rotate externally in the socket there. So we sort of talk about a loss of external rotation range, which is a pretty functional pattern in footy that you need to have for a lot of activities in terms of contact and, and ball work and things like that. So the fact he was able to play with that if he had limited range of motion is really, really quite incredible, I think. Yeah, I think um, if it's a true frozen shoulder, mate, there's just no way he could have played footy. Uh, like, you know, you just, the functional limitations, like he was even talking about for a bit there, considering going over to the UK and stuff like that. And I'm like, I just don't think that would have lasted very long at all. Uh, like, I know generally the guys say that the standard of footy is a little bit less over there, but yeah, I just don't see how that would have happened. Uh, for me, look, yeah, just crazy once again. I, I speak about the resilience of these guys, but four shoulder Rico's back to back to back like over four years and just didn't seem to phase him. I know it's in retrospect and he probably had some pretty uh, dark times at, at different points and, you know, he spoke about seeking professional help and those kind of things. But just, yeah, the, these guys, once again, like what they go through year in, year out to get themselves up for it. I mean, yeah, to get to a point, like I, I forget even, like in doing the research, I was like 27, like to retire at 27. It was just, yeah, it blew me away. So, all the props to Jack, like you know, sticking to sticking to the rehab for the that amount of time because he just yeah he debuted at twenty two twenty three and then had four or five years in the NRL with every year having a shoulder reconstruction and then he was gone. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, look he had a wonderful career. He scored a try in a grand final, played five tests for for England. So yeah, he he had a great career, but uh, yeah, it was just. Um, yeah, his resilience and his ability to push through that and, and not it really affecting him till right at the end. I, I was really, yeah, I admired him for that. Yeah, I think just a good memory that I'm sure you share as well was that, that run he had in Supercoach that, that season. What was that? What season was that where he just get pumping out 100-plus yeah. scores <laughs> yeah. and he was the most expensive player ever in Supercoach? I, I have a faint suspicion it was sort of, I don't know. I've got 2014-ish in my in my head, but I just remember Jack Reed just going absolutely troppo and scoring points deluxe. And I just remember looking at it and just thinking, "Oh my god, it can't happen again, can it?" And lo and behold, he, he sort of pumped out multiple hundred scores in a row, where the average was you know even below 70 at that point in time. So he was just scoring just points for fun. But yeah, I wish I could remember the, the time frame around that because I can't quite recall when it was. Do you remember that that sort of? Yeah, I remember the run. I can't remember what it was, mate. I I, I just remember being yeah. surprised that he didn't uh, didn't get ruled out with a right index finger sprain from you know just doing the uh, the finger up when he scored every try. You know, That's I just right. remember just it. remember the yeah. Jack Reed. You know, just the finger going. Yep, that was that was me. Did claim a few a uh, few false ones from time to time, I think, as uh, as they like to say. But yeah, no, lo- loved Jack, and yeah, as you said, he had some really hot hot runs there, particularly in from a super coach perspective. But uh, yeah, guys, that's a wrap for this week. If you like the pod, uh, yeah. 
as always, chuck us a review, recommend to a friend, or even, yeah, if you haven't subscribed yet, subscribe, because that really helps us uh, with those subscriber numbers to sort of get the pod uh, up the lists or whatever it is and, and out to new people, which we're always aiming to do. Uh, yeah, look, we're we're definitely still keen on sort of uh, getting people on, uh, players, ex-players, those kind of things. We've even got uh, potentially a referee coming on next week, which will be fun. Uh, but yeah, uh, look, if there's anyone out there who thinks uh, that they know someone who would be good to interview, yeah, let us know. But uh, otherwise, patreon.com slash general physio. Go there for more stuff during the week. It becomes really important in the run home in your super coach leagues. But other than that, James, mate, in, well, I say enjoy this week. I think this week, it's 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 heading down a dark path in my mind already. I just hope that the boys can pull out a classic Queenslander underdog. Let's just let's just manifest that underdog. You know, we're no chance. Blah blah, and then the boys are just going to come out and find a way to scrape out an eight six victory on Wednesday night. Yeah, we're going to need all the Queens of spirit we can bottle, Ryan. <laughs> so we'll be manifesting all the spirit towards the boys there. So hopefully. They can get it done. But, yeah, big, big, big loss with Cam Munster, just Ugh. who's the spiritual leader of that team and, you know, obviously just got us home and hosed in so many big games. So, anyway, we'll, we'll support the boys that are going to step in and do the job and they'll do a good job and hopefully we get another W. Put it in the books. Let's hope so, mate. All right, guys, enjoy your week and we will uh, we'll see you all again next week post-Origin. Suspected broken left fibula. Suffering syndesmosis. After that stem cell injury that he's come back from. That's about it, mate.